Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading The Rainbow Garden by Patricia Sanjan with permission of Moody Publishing Company. And we are very thankful to them for allowing us to do this, to read these books. And we are on the last chapter, chapter 21, The Path That Led Home. I soon began to feel quite well again, and my mother said she should be getting back to work. I was still in bed on the morning she left, and for the first time I brought up the subject of the Christmas holidays. We shall be leaving France in November, darling, she said, and then it will be only another few weeks and you'll be home for good. I'm already finding out about flats, and I'll get two weeks' holidays over Christmas. What fun it will be to be together again. I lay very still. I did not want to hurt Mummy's feelings, but somehow she must understand. I wanted to see her on visits, but my home was here in the country now with Janet and Philippa. I could not go back and live in London, but I did not know how to explain. And I'm being very weak after my illness. The tears welled up in my eyes, and I felt my lips trembling. My mother stared at me, went rather red. There was a long, uncomfortable silence. Don't you want to come home, she asked in a light, hard voice. Would you rather stay and have Christmas with the Owens? They seem very fond of you. It will be just as you like, you know. It was a chance I had been waiting for, but somehow I could not take it. I wasn't sure if Mummy was angry or just sad, but in any case I was too nervous to explain anything. I lay there feeling miserable and twisting the sheets in my hands. Well, said my mother, you've only got to say so, and it'll be exactly as you like. I... I don't know. I'll ask Auntie, I whispered, and I'll tell you later, Mummy. Oh, very well, I answered my mother coldly. But make up your mind soon, as I must make my plans as well. She glanced at her watch and yawned. I must be going soon. Well, goodbye, darling. Get better quickly, and I'll be back in a few weeks. She kissed me lightly and turned away, but the nurse stopped her at the ward door, and I caught a glimpse of her face and noticed tears on her cheeks. I buried myself under the bed covers and cried and cried. I asked Auntie to explain. I thought to myself, she'll be able to make Mummy understand. And with this, I comforted myself and grew stronger every day until one morning the doctor stopped quite casually at the bottom of my bed and said he thought I could go home the next day. Waiting to go seemed to take forever. I was so excited. Mrs. Owen, Janet, and Peter came to get me all looking almost as excited as I was. At last we were all driving through the gates and away into the world that I had not seen for nearly a month. Mr. Owen, Plowden, Johnny, Francis, Robin, Lucy Caldwaller were all at the gate under an amazing banner with the words, Welcome Home, stitched across it in an uneven red letters, and the noise of their greetings must have sh shaken the, pa the parish. I was carried down the path by many loving hands and through the front door where another surprise awaited me. The table was laid for a party, and the room was full of red roses, while on the couch by the window lay Philippa with her mother sitting beside her. Philippa was determined to, to be there on the great day. It was a wonderful party. Better than Christmas, Sir Johnny remarked. We had ham sandwiches, chocolate biscuits, fruit salad, and a big cake baked by Blauden, frosted by Janet, and with a welcome home Elaine printed in it, on it in silver bells by Francis. We talked and talked because there was so much to say. Then Mrs. Mr. Owen told us about the thief who might have escaped if he had not gone out in response to my cry for help. 
All night long, Mr. Owen had talked with him while I slept in an uneasy sleep. The man told his pitiful story. He had an unhappy childhood. Then his wife had left him, taking with her the only person he had really loved, his little girl. He had already been to prison once and had come out ill, without work, without a friend in the world. Life had been a bitter, hopeless struggle ever since, and he was sick of it all and ready to give himself up. He fully admitted to the robbery. So he and Mr. Owen had gone to court together, and the previous week he had been sentenced to three months' imprisonment. But he had gone quietly enough, knowing that at last he had a friend who would stand by him all the way through and be there waiting for him on the day when the prison gates would open for him. Mr. Owen had promised to write him every week and visit him once a month, and already Mr. Owen was looking for a kind employer and a decent job for the man. We sat silently for a minute, thinking of the poor man's unhappy life. I glanced around at the happy, healthy children, the good food we were eating, the warm clothing we were wearing, the yellow evening sunshine streaming in the window, and realized we had been given very much. I think we could have talked all night, but Mrs. Owen suddenly jumped up and said I'd been up too long for the first day and must go to bed at once. So they all came to the bottom of the stairs to watch me climb with my plaster-casted leg and wave goodnight to me. Mrs. Owens helped me into bed and then went off to get me a hot, last hot drink. It was wonderful to be back in my own little room and to know that I would wake up in the morning and find Janet sleeping beside me. And then an unhappy thought came into my heart. Suppose I had to leave it. Suppose I had to go back to London. Well, I wouldn't leave it. It was my home now, and Mummy had said I could do as I liked. Now is my chance to get things straight. Mrs. Owens sat down on my bed while I drank my hot chocolate, and I decided to talk with her about it there and then. Auntie, I said abruptly, I never want to go back to London. I want to stay here and have Christmas with you and go on going to school with Janet. Can you tell Mummy? Because she said I could do what I liked, and she could always come up and visit me. Mrs. Owen looked very troubled, and this surprised me, for it had all seemed perfectly simple to me. I couldn't tell her, she said. If you really want to stay, you must talk it over between yourselves. Of course, we all want you to stay very badly, and we will miss you dreadfully if you go. But you see, you are all your mother has got. Have you ever thought how lonely she will be without you? I was silent. I had not thought very much about her side of it. My own side mattered to me too much. I don't think we need to decide tonight, she said quietly. We must think about it. But don't forget your special verse. The Lord Jesus has the path all planned out for you. Ask him to show you very, very clearly where it's going to lead you. Because only by walking in that path will you find fullness of joy. She kissed me and left me, and I buried my head in the pillows and said my prayers. But I did not ask to be shown the path of life. I just said, please, please, let me stay here because I would, could never be happy again in London. I grew strong again surprisingly quickly, and by October my cast was off and I was able to go back to school. I could also climb the hill to visit Philippa again, and I looked forward to those visits, for she had really changed she had asked Jesus to come and live in her heart, and since that day he had simply been teaching her that true happiness lies in making other people happy and by giving instead of getting. 
Day by day, she was putting up a brave, steady fight against grumbling and selfishness and winning victories over her crossness and self-pity. She had worked hard at her lessons now and had learned to knit and was always thinking of things she could do for other people. Mr. Owen used to visit her and tell her about the parish, and she had started to knit clothes for the new babies and to write little letters and verses for people who were ill or in trouble. It was on a clear, cool day towards the end of October that I was sitting on the windowsill talking to Philippa. It was nearly time to go home. Elaine, said Philippa suddenly, when do you have to go back to your mother in London? The old fear leaped in my heart, for it was nearly November. Mummy would soon be coming. But I felt sure it would be all right. All right, she said. I could do as I liked. I'm not going back, I answered Mummy. Mummy said I could choose. I'm going to stay here, and I could never be happy in London. Philippa's clear blue eyes, which sometimes seemed to say, see much more than I wanted them to, were looking at me in surprise. Well, I can't believe it, she explained. You told me that if I belonged to the Lord Jesus, I could be happy with lame legs, and I believed you. And now you say you couldn't even be happy in London? Having la- lame legs is far, far worse than living in London. Her words seemed to hit me, and I had no answer to give it give back at all. But I tried to think of some excuse. Oh, but if I went back to London, there'd be no one to teach me about Jesus, I stammered. My mother doesn't even know much about the Bible. Well, neither does mine, said Philippa firmly, but she's awful pleased that I've stopped being so cross, and I told her it was knowing about Jesus. So now she thinks the Bible must be a very good book, and she comes and reads it with me. But all the same, Elaine, I really do hope you don't go away because I shall miss you so much. Well, it isn't quite decided, I said slowly, rising to my feet. I wanted to get away and think things over. I said a hasty goodbye, but didn't go home. I climbed to the lamb pasture and sat down on the roots of the huge beech tree. I could see a long way. Just below me were the woods and beyond them the brown plowed fields and the purple-blue line of the sea in the pale evening sky. This was my home, the land I'd learned to love. How could I leave it? I turned and looked behind me, and the hills seemed very close tonight, and on one of them I could see a lonely little path winding up over the rocks and twisting through the yellow bracken. It seemed to run right to the top of the crest and to meet the sunset. Lord Jesus, I whispered, show me the right path. I really want to know. And as I sat waiting for my answer, I began to think about my mother, my pretty, clever, capable mother, who went to France and gave parties and rushed off in planes and always seemed to know what to do and how to do it. And yet at the hospital, she had been desperately afraid. I remembered her frightened face and the funny feeling I'd had that mummy was lost in the mist and that I must put out my hand and lead her home. And there was no one else. The Owens all had one another, but Mummy had only me. I turned and went downhill, limping a little. Across the shadowed fields, I saw two figures coming towards me. Mrs. Owen had started out to look for me, and plump little Lucy was toddling beside her. We met at the first beech tree, and I slipped my hand in hers. There's a letter from your mother, said Mrs. Owen, a little hesitantly. She's coming to see you on Saturday to talk things over. I looked up with a light of certainty on my face. Good, I said. I'm glad she's coming. 
I'm going back to London at the end of the term to live with her. There was a moment's silence. Perhaps Mrs. Owen was waiting for me to explain, but I said all I had to say. Did you find out? Is it the path of life? She asked softly at last. I nodded. Then you'll find fullness of joy, she said, stooping to pick up Lucy. And hand in hand, we strolled home through the dark fields, and the light shone out in a cozy glow from the vicarage windows ahead of us. That's the end. In the presence of joy, in the presence of the Lord God, is the fullness of joy. And I pray that the Lord will lead you in his path, in his ways. Sometimes hard, but we need to ask the Lord for that, don't we? Well, I love you. I'm praying for you. And we will start a new book tomorrow. So bye-bye for now.